Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Daf Shavua as we study Meseches Yevamos Daf Pei Gimel. We are getting very close to the end of Perika Arel. This is the end of uh, for the last full Daf, and then we have another uh, exciting Perika ahead. Then we're really going to get into towards we get to I call it the second half of Meseches Yevamos. Many uh, Lamaisa issues. I want to start off with uh, a little bit of the androgynous discussion. And androgynous is understood differently by different Rishonim. Uh, the Ramban clearly sees it not as a suffix, Zachar, suffix, Nekeva, but as a barrier Chadasha. It's a new barrier. It's like a third gender, if we could call it. But the Rambam and... Uh, seems to me, at least the most Rishonim that I saw, Tosvus as well, says that it is a suffolk. It's not a Zachar or it's an Akeva, but it's a suffolk. It's not a third gender. And there could be practical differences between them. What you also see here, and I'm going to get this to Halach Lamaisa to an extent, is interesting working between a Brace and a Mishnah. You see, the way the Gemara starts at the end of the last daf into this daf is we have Rabbi opinion in the Mishnah together with Rabbi Shimon, but then we change it where he has an opinion that the androgynous could share, if it's an androgynous as a Kohen, he could share with his wife, Truma, which gives him some status, but then we reject Rabbi of the Doraisa, for, for Rabbi of the Doraisa, where we say the androgynous is for sure not a zohar. So this just brings up a general question when it comes to Derech Halimud. What's the difference between a Brisa and a Mishnah? You look at Tosfos. Generally, a Mishnah is going to have more strength than a Brisa. Here it seems to be different. So that's a big discussion. Um, we generally assume more or less that they're going to have the same power if there's clarity in what the brysa is. You see, brysa, I think in Aramaic, means that it's chutz, it's bar, it's uh, outside of the Mishnah. So sometimes we don't have clarity, the same clarity that we have on a Mishnah, we don't have on a brysa. In this situation, that's clearly not what's happening. It was just a question of the chronology, Mishnah first, brysa second. So Rabbi Yossi over here is changing his opinion. So all things being equal, we're going to treat a brysa like a Mishnah, especially if you could line it up chronologically and you could see a change of an opinion. Now, what I'm going to do for your benefit and for my benefit on this daf is I'm going to include a few things in the source material, which is going to be attached to the, whether it's the WhatsApp or the email. I'm going to send you the first two prakim of Hilchos Ishus, where the Rambam basically says you could find everything about all of the different categories of uh, individuals. In fact, many of the categories that sometimes we need to constantly review. The way he ends at the end of Perik Bays is Halacha Chavzayim Nimsu Shema Shabiyarnu Inyanam. Besheni prakim elu esrim shemos, and he says you have twenty shemos, twenty different categories we've discussed here, 
Kiddush and Erva, Shnia, Isuri Lav, and Isuri Asek, Tana, Nara, Bogeris, Ailenus, Gedola, Simon Tachton, Simon Elion, Katon, Sris Chama, Sris Adam. We've covered many of these this year. Gadol, Androgynous, Tumtum. Then he goes on to two other categories, Gershim and Pikchim. And then he says the following. Listen to this. The Rambam as a teacher. Simkal Hashemus Elulu Maschat Tamid. You should keep these names in front of you. Don't remove them from your eyes. Call in your name. And therefore, I won't have to, and you won't have to, go through the whole process of figuring it out each time. Just an incredible uh, Rambam that I wanted you to see at the end of the second parak of Hilchas Ishus beyond just helping us over here, and you will get the uh, Rambam's opinion of androgynous tumtum, etc., but what a teaching methodology of the Rambam as far as being structured, being organized, and helping us uh, with what we'd call today cheat sheets on these inyanim. I myself know to keep referring back to these two prakim when I constantly get confused between the different status, you know, sometimes between a Nara, what's a Bulgaris, what's an Ilonis, Gidola. So now you know where to go, and I'm going to copy it for you, stealing, or I don't want to say stealing, borrowing, with full permission from Chabad. And the reason I give you the Chabad one is Chabad copies from Maznayim. It uses Maznayim, which I think is a Chabad publication, and there'll be excellent footnotes. I should have sent this out earlier, but it's gonna. It's a great time to do it as we get to the end of Paraka Aro. The second is I'm going to attach an article, complicated but important article, from Rabbi Alfred Cohn. Rabbi Alfred Cohn, for many years, was the editor of the Journal of Halakha and Contemporary Society. And I found an article that he wrote in the fall of 1999 where he discusses uh, androgynous and tumtum. He even brings in some halacha issues, including the tshuva from the tzitz Eliezer. It comes up today in some of the discussions about people trying to change genders. Again, that's not what we're dealing with over here, but it does become somewhat practical where you could turn a tumtum into clearly a zachar or a nekeva. Um, the androgynous remains in the suffolk. It's not something that we could be mavarer. So I thought you would find that interesting, and I'm not going to get to go through all of it. So this is at least uh, for the first part of today's year. You get a sense of the importance of understanding Rabiosi's position, and we'll give you some uh, insights and summaries of a lot of what we've accomplished and this article from Rebbe Cohn. The Gemara brings up a, a very relevant point. It's really a discussion of Masechus Nida, but it comes in here as far as uh, when does a woman who is giving birth become a Nida? This is different than the halacha of Yoledes, which um, we have discussed in the past, but as far as at a certain point in the birthing process, being in labor, let's keep the breaking of the water. At some point in this process, the woman is going to become a Nida and all the halachas of Nida will apply. Uh, I'm not going to discuss the issue now about whether the man could participate in the birthing process. The general answer is yes, but there may be some restrictions based on some of these halachas that we teach. It's a much bigger discussion. The assumption is he would not be able to have contact, direct contact with her once she's a nida. So the question is, at what point? Our Gemara introduces the possibility 
of someone going into labor, um, you know, weeks and weeks in advance, whether consistently or whether it's a false labor. So there's a lot of discussion here in the poskim. I want to point out that I deal with these shilas uh, pretty frequently. Um, some are under the impression that as soon as the water breaks, woman is considered to be a nida. Mir um, Zalman is of the opinion that this is only if there's blood in the water. So the water could break well in advance, even before the woman starts going into labor. It's not ipso facto mix her anita. Others disagree. Um, but definitely, once there is dam that's associated with this process, as opposed to some kind of cut, then she will become anita. Also, in a situation where she can't walk, she's anita from that point and on, according to uh, many of the postgum, even if dam is not seen. Um, in some of the other opinions, you see this discussed in Igros Moshe, Yerdea 275, that once she feels birth pains that are so intense that she calls the doctor. It's, it's not a minor pain, but she feels the birth is imminent and she'd be forced to go into a different position. Sitting on a birthing stool, she's considered to be a nida. Some say it's when she can't walk. So again, halachalamaisa, these halachas have to be evaluated. They're common questions that are asked in advance. Um, there are opinions even if the cervix opens up in the sixth or seventh month that she may already be considered to be anida, depending on how much it opens up. There are others that are much more lenient, especially uh, after having one or two children, the cervix tends to open up, from what I am told, much earlier. So this ties into the daf, um, as you see the discussion of this unique position within Hilchas Nida. The last thing I'm going to touch on today is Shemitah. We're in a Shemitah year, so why not discuss some of the halachas of Shemitah that come up? I have to give one introductory remark about a major difference between Shemitah and Shabbos. There's no issue on Shabbos to have your kalim working. So all things being equal, you could set your Shabbos clock for the chalent to go on on Shabbos. I say all things being equal because there are going to be certain exceptions. You could set up a Shabbos clock for your coffee machine to go on, how it works with going off and the noise level, etc., may play an impact as well. But the category, and this takes us to Hilch Shabbos and Masech Shabbos, is there's no need for Shvisas Kalim. Your vessels do not have to be resting on Shabbos or stopping, which is a more literal translation of Shabbos. When it comes to Shemitah, when it comes to a sabbatical year, we require there to be shvisas ha'aretz. So even if you could set something in place in advance for the machine to start functioning on Shemitah, you have a Shemitah clock as opposed to a Shabbos clock, it's going to be a problem. And this ties into what's happening in our Gemara as far as how early, or actually how late and close to Rosh Hashanah, when the Shemitah year begins, could you not be involved in planting? 
What I'm going to do is just give a very basic overview. Why not? Since we're in a Shemitah year, some of the halachas of Shemitah, the Raisa Rabbanon, and then we'll come back and zero in on this specific issue that's raised in our Gemara. For those uh, who remember when we learned Mesechus Rosh Hashanah on Daf Tes Amid Aleph, so even though the laws of Shemitah only become uh, relevant on Rosh Hashanah, Chazal derive that there's Tosefes Shviyas, and this is a Daraisa, that you can't plow the field starting 30 days before Shemitah year. There are issues that Chachamim bring up even before this. But the Gemara explains, and this is back in uh, Rosh Hashanah, that this is only Bizman Beis Hamigdash standing. But today, at least from the time of Rabbi Gamliel and his Bezdin, there's no issue uh, of Tosef Shviyas. And this was accepted by the Rambam. You look in Hilchashmita Viovel, Gimel, Tess. The Rambam says straight out that uh, all these halachas are only relevant at the time of the Migdash. But as I pointed out, we have another issue. This is as far as agricultural, plowing, fertilizing, thinning out weeds. That would not be a problem up until Erev uh, Rosh Hashanah of a Shemitah year. But the problem is planting. Because you can't plant or graft less than 30 days before Rosh Hashanah. And this is discussed as well in Mesechus Rosh Hashanah. And here the issue we get into and it's covered as well. You look at the Rosh Hashanah, Daf Yud, Amid Beis, and to look into the Rambam and Hilchah Shemitah, Gimel, Yud Aleph, it's either going to be based on the possibility that things will grow during Shemitah, and as I explained, that you have the Shvisas Haaretz, unlike uh, Shabbos, where there's a prohibition, there's no prohibition of Shvisas Kalim, now, the Rambam that I mentioned gives a different reason, which is incredible. The Rambam's reasoning is that it's based on Marasayan. People are going to see things grow during Shemitah. They're going to assume that you planted it on Shemitah, which is a totally different view than the other opinion, that it's the question of whether it's going to actually uh, grow on Shemitah year, which would be a violation of the halachas of Shemitah. There's a lot more to say about this. We're not going to go through all the halachas of Shviyas, but I wanted to give you a sense, especially since we're in a Shemitah year, of how our Gemara ties in halachalamaisa.